Hey, what's going on? This is Jeremy Thill, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I am excited to share an interview with Chris Fields. He is a VP of Sales over at Zelle Logistics. We had a chance to hang out a little bit at F3. In this episode, we break down how to stand out if you're looking for a job since the market is really tough right now and a lot of people are out of work. So we kind of, from Chris's perspective, since he's hired a bunch of folks over the years, he kind of talks about how to specifically stand out and how to, to make things happen and get yourself back to work. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming on to 3PL Live. I am excited to have you and it was nice getting to catch up with you over at F3. Before we get into F3 and kind of how your experience was, would you just mind introducing yourself, what you do and how you got into the supply chain? Sure. Thanks, Jeremy. Good to talk to you again. Chris Fields, uh, 15 years in the industry and kind of a dinosaur. <laughs> I spent the last 15 years at TQL joining Zelle and, and, you know, as a variety of roles, broker, hiring manager, national accounts, and then dealing with a lot of their, their larger enterprise accounts. So seen it all, done it all, and, and just recently joined the team at Zelle. Very cool. And then what do you guys do over at Zelle? We are outstaffing, uh, remote staffing, um, primarily in Eastern Europe with 11 offices across seven countries. Wow. It's fascinating. Like all these different offices all around the globe. Now it's, it's truly a global market these days. Let's talk a little bit about F3. I really enjoyed it. It was fun getting to hang out with you, grab a, a beer at some of these local kind of bars that were set up around the event and some of these music venues. I thought it was amazing. The speakers were fantastic. How did, how did you like the event? Unbelievable. They, they do such a great job. And you know, we've all been to all the other conferences and nothing against them, but just the the way it's put together. It's not just the big layout, one floor with all the exhibitors. It's just, it's unique. Uh, the networking is fantastic. There's always something going on afterward and, and you get to meet so many new people and, and they've always done a great job. It's one of my favorites. I agree. It almost felt like a South by Southwest. They had like, I saw an 80s <laughs> band at like the pavilion and then TI and then there was the aquarium that yeah. I ended up getting some food at. It was just Fantastic. And I think it's also just a way to like, I'm a strong believer of networking. Your your net worth is your network essentially. So I met a ton of people like yourself. So I don't know, do you meet a, a bunch of people as well and get some good networking in? You're right. It's a little more intimate. And I think Chattanooga, the city itself has a lot to do with that. It's just, it feels great being there and, and it's natural. And, you know, you get to meet some of your largest accounts that, you know, Amazon's all the way down to small owner operators were there. So it runs the gamut. It's, it's such a great event. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the convoy shutdown. And since you're kind of in the more probably close to hiring people and whatnot, and kind of that sort of field, what, what was your thoughts on like the convoy thing? And do you, is there a lot of people like, in, it seems like they probably had well, like a thousand employees. So probably a lot of those people, I'm, I'm guessing like 900 or more probably are looking for jobs. So any advice to those folks? Yeah, it was unfortunate. Uh, I was happy to see the Flexport deal with Convoy. So at least a few of the individuals were able to move over to Flexport. And, and I think that's going to be a win-win uh, for both sure. sides. But yeah, like you just said, there's, there's a lot of people who are out of jobs right now. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's a tough market. Spent years hiring in this industry and you have to find a way to set yourself apart. Oftentimes, a hiring manager may have a stack of resumes and what, what makes you stand out? And, and that's what you have to think about if, if you're one of the, the ones going through that right now. Yeah, definitely. If you were to like be in the position where that happened to you, how would you approach it? Cause it seems to me too, like resumes, I feel like LinkedIn is sort of an augment of the resume. Like it's like, especially with people that are creating content, if you're into that sort of thing, 
thoughts in general, like it seems like if you use a resume, you have to have like certain keywords so that the applicant tracking systems don't sort of boot your resume right away. But any like thoughts or tips or cover letters said, I know there's a lot there, but just, you can kind of just pick whatever angle you want to get with. Yeah, you're right. A lot of the applicant tracking systems now comb through it with AI looking for keywords. So I, I think the traditional approach, maybe, you know, 15 years ago when I was applying, it's not the same. Right now, your network is so important. And whether that's on LinkedIn or, or just, you know, people you know uh, in your hometown, you've got to start networking and ask who they know and then highlight your skill set. And I think something that is not done often enough is there's a job you want. I think it's important to let the hiring manager or anyone that works there that you know, let them know you want the job. It's okay to be a little aggressive. I like that. I feel like sometimes people in general, it's sometimes hard to tell. Sometimes people might want something, but they're they're shy about it or they're a little, they're one of those things where they're trying to be humble, I guess. And sometimes yes. you, it's probably not a good idea to be humble when like you want something, you kind of just need to go for it. So I, I like what you said there. I think that that makes a lot of sense. What's your thoughts on LinkedIn? Do you think that LinkedIn, a lot of, it seems to me like LinkedIn has hit critical mass and that there's everyone in our industry seems to be on there. Like at least the people that are decision makers seem to be on there. I don't know if like, you know, the warehouse workers or something like that are on there, but it seems like the executives and the people that actually could actually change your, the course of your career are on there. Would you agree with that? I do. I think it's, it's one of the best. I've seen the recent shift, especially after F3 over to uh, Twitter or X that it's mm. called now. I've, I've seen a few over on that, but LinkedIn's fantastic. It's like your resume is always out there if it's written properly and it, it helps you to stand out. And like we were just talking about over the, say I've interviewed for eight, nine years, there may have been 10 people who were adamant during the interview process at the end who said, just to let you know, I want this job. Mm. And that stood out. You know, I don't know if it's, it's because the interview process itself is, is nerve wracking or whatever it may be, but it was almost, they would leave there and a sigh of relief came over them. But the ones who said, just to let you know, I want this job really stood out to me. And I hired every one of them. That's awesome. I think that it's probably just because you know that those people are willing to like work, I'm assuming, and that yes. they have like the drive and like the grit. Because mm -hmm. I think that, I don't know if you agree with this, but in general, I think that like if you're somewhat intelligent and you have drive, I'd rather have the person that has drive than more intelligence and no drive. Yes. Resilience, uh, drive, but be careful not to be arrogant. And um, I don't know mm. if you had a chance to hear Brad Jacobs at F3. I did. It was fantastic. Tips. I was in the front row. I was, he's, he's the best. And he said one thing that really stood out to me. And he said, arrogance is the enemy. And that's coming from a man who has built multiple billion dollar companies. And he said that simple statement. And, and I think it applies no matter what role you're in or what you're doing. Yeah, I was actually really surprised at how amazing his personality was. I, I just mm -hmm. didn't know. I obviously knew at XPO and I knew about him and I've seen his face around and whatnot, but I had no idea like how like entertaining he was. Like he was like really like just when he was talking about his book and like the reference of his book and like how Jenna Jameson and like kind of provocative titles and then how he ended up starting that his his other book about like starting billion dollar businesses. I just thought he was very fascinating, well-spoken, and just very inspiring. Like I, I actually left that specific breakout session just feeling very inspired. You, you yes. as well? Yes, he was very charismatic. I mean, obviously he's done it hundreds of <laughs> sure. times, so he's practiced, but even the little things as far as his stance on stage and his hand gestures, and he's just, he owned it. 
And he carried such a presence and everything, you know, people were hanging on the edge of their seat, listening to every word he had to say. And it was, it was fantastic. Big fan. of. I saw that uh, he sent Grace Sharkey a book that was signed. I was jealous. I was like, you can just send me one too. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what about for folks that are like, for me, for example, like I, I get really nervous. Like when I'm in a job interview, I get super nervous too, being in front of a crowd. And I don't know what it is. I feel like it's like an introverted thing where I just get in my head and then I don't perform as well, like a, an interview. So I have a lot of compassion for folks like myself that are just like, I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't necessarily interview to the best of their ability and they're not necessarily shining as bright as they could be. Do you have any tips for them as far as like maybe preparing more or like, I don't know, any, th yeah. any thoughts on that? I would say it's kind of cliche, but repetition is big. You know, mm -hmm. if it's standing in front of a mirror or just walking, I used to do this years ago when I was preparing to present to a client or internally at the company and I was driving in in the morning, I would record what I was going to say and I would mm -hmm. listen to it again. And it's never fun to listen to yourself. Sure. You know, no one, but it's hard. I did, yeah, yeah, I did it five, six times. And then when I was doing the real thing, it, it, it came out a little bit better. So I think you would be very surprised at how much better you would do if you just smile. And that sounds mm. crazy, but walk in the room with a smile on your face and, and own it. You got to that point for, for a reason. They liked sure. something, you know, whether it was a applicant tracking system or the hiring or the recruiter or whoever it was, they liked something. And so showcase that, you know, everyone is so concerned with normal Perfect. and fitting, fitting in, highlight how you're different, embrace it. Yeah. I love that. I, I think that way about LinkedIn content as well. It seems like everyone sort of wants to blend in, but it makes sense to sort of stand out as much as you can, if you can, I mean, not in a bad way, but in a way that's just your own voice, your own, because at the end of the day, like people really connect with authenticity, I think, and yes. being genuine. But I, I like what you said too about preparing ahead of time. My dad used to always say like proper planning prevents piss poor performance was one thing that he used to always yes. kind of tell me. And yep. me being a snowboarder growing up, like I used to actually like when I would go hit like a you know 50 or 60 foot jump, I would actually visualize it in my head. And then I would mm -hmm. actually say it out loud to like a friend. I'd be like, hey, Chris, I'm going to go hit this jump on Friday. And I do that on purpose so that I could hold myself accountable. I knew that if I said it, that I'm not going to like not go back on my word, essentially that my integrity would take me through wherever I needed to be. So Man, great. Yeah, do you do anything like that, like visualization or anything like that? Or like, it's funny you say that I play golf every now and then I'm terrible, but I'll never, what you just said reminded me, I played golf one time with a guy. Uh, he was a Swedish guy before he would hit a shot. He would look over at me and go, here's what I'm about to do. I said, this is absurd. You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would do. He would say, I'm going to hit a little, you know, three yard fade right here and really did. So yeah. just like you snowboarding, you visualize it and it happened. Yeah, I feel like everything's a bit psychological, right? Like the way we mm -hmm. approach things. And I don't know, I feel like some people are just better like off the cuff. I'm one of those people that needs to prepare like ahead of time. And kind of like you said, like, I've also done that too, where I've like recorded myself like to see how I sounded. And it's, I agree with you, it's painful to like listen to yourself talk. And it's also just like, a lot of like energy taken to like have to get through those like those reps essentially another thing that i'm i also do sometimes is like look at like stoicism quotes like the ability to the whole idea i think behind stoicism is that the external factors are always constantly can, can change but the only thing you really can control is the way you approach your thoughts and sort of yes. picking one thought versus another thought and i think that that happens too like in like interviews like you could you could like basically start monitoring what you're saying to yourself as you're saying it. And that's a terrible place to be because when I've done that, like it's like that metacognition thing where you start going, oh shit, like now 
I'm really thinking about what I'm saying and I'm screwing it up right now. And then that's when I get in my head and terrible place to be. I don't like being there. I try to just to be more, I guess, in the moment if I can. Sure. Sure. And it's funny you bring that up on my desk right now. I'm looking at it is, is the daily stoic. Oh, it's nice. a short, I... it's, it's, it's my favorite, you know, come in every morning and it's a short paragraph and it just kind of sets the tone. Uh, for my day. You, you control what you can control. You know, if you, like you just said, if you start listening to yourself, you're going to get in your head. I would go back to that, that confidence of you. You're sitting in that seat for a reason. They wanted to talk to you and just own it. Don't, don't, don't listen to yourself. From your own experience, like the, your current role as L, how did you end up getting that? Like, what was that process like? Cause I think it, maybe it helps to think about like how you approach that as well. Since, since you got that gig there. Sure. I, I was very fortunate. My network over 15 years, I, I knew a lot of people. At my core, I am a salesperson. You got to be careful in companies as you just start to climb the corporate ladder. By default, it goes, well, you'll become a manager. And that's what happened to me. And I missed the sales side of things. I started reaching out and it, it felt like I, was, I had gotten to a point where I was just babysitting. I was hearing about the girlfriend and boyfriend breakups and, <laughs> and all of those things. And then this, I've got something left in me. So I started talking to, to my network, like we just said, and, you know, the opportunity came up that the folks that I work with here are all industry veterans from TransPlace, Uber Freight, those kind of companies. So when we Solid. we get on calls, we, we have the experience. Did you have to go through like several rounds, I'm assuming? It's, some of these interview processes are pretty brutal. Yeah, there were, you know, three or four, but, but I knew the individuals. They knew what I brought to the table. So it was a little, it was a little different. But, you know, for those looking for jobs right now in the industry, it's the same thing. Highlight what you've done in the industry and don't make it bland. I, I, I sold myself on the numbers that I produced, the team that I built, built a team here in, in Tampa, one of their largest offices from six people to 250 people. Oh, wow. That's, That's huge. Straight and to the point that carries weight. Highlight those things. Don't go into chat GPT and have it write your resume for it. No, I agree. I think that people want transformational experiences, I guess, like you had said, like going from like six to 200 people, that's like significant that people could actually tangibly, I mean, not a lot of people I would think would have those sorts of like, that's pretty big. I would say that I think that not a ton of people would have that kind of transformational results. But at the end of the day, it seems like how you pick your success stories from each company, essentially, like maybe like pick one success story from each role and like whatever it is that sort of aligns with the actual job that you're applying for? Would that be yes. kind of one way to think about it? I think so. I mean, you've done something in your career. It may not be, you know, building an office like I did, but you've done something. And I think it's very important to get, get to that, to the point of that, like, Hey, I did this. Here's where it started. Here's where I finished with it. And, and here's what, here's the value that it brought to my previous company. That's what they're looking for. They don't want the fluff of I'm it's substance. Make sure you have some substance. Mm -hmm. What about, was it hard to just out of curiosity? Like, I feel like sometimes it's easier in some sort of sense when you don't know the people because then there's like less expectations or there's less, like you feel, I don't know. I've, is, is there anything to that? Or was it in your own experience, was it easier knowing the people through the interview process or did it make it more difficult? I think it was a little more difficult. You know, they had a certain expectation. I, there were a few in the company that I had not met. So those almost felt a little bit easier than the ones I did know, but go back to your foundation and, and what you bring to the table and be confident and own it. And I'm telling you right now, if you're a good fit for the job and you sell yourself, make sure that you leave that interview saying, 
if you want the job. If you don't want the mm. job, just leave. But if, if you do want the job, make sure they know that you want that job. Thoughts on uh, following up as well with like a thank you. It seems like the art of a thank you letter has been lost or like the thank you email. Thoughts on that? 100%. I know of people who are still in the hiring manager roles with other companies right now. Even when they liked someone after the initial interview, they would wait to see, and I did it as well, to see what kind of follow up. I like the ones who were aggressive. There's nothing wrong same day. So if you interviewed at 2 p.m., there's nothing wrong that when you get home that night and shooting an email and just saying, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Here's what I liked about our conversation. Here's where I think I could add some value. And I look forward to hearing back from you. Yeah, I wonder, do you think it's because people are worried? I mean, this happens like in dating as well, where people are like, I need to wait like three days to text this person no. or whatever. So do you think that like people in the job interview process as well start thinking like, hey, I don't want to wait like... I don't want it to come across as desperate. Do you think that that's kind of what they're thinking and why they might not do it that same day? Think about what you just said. Everyone is hesitant. So mm -hmm. stand out. So nine out of 10 people are not going or are saying what you just said. Like, hey, let me wait a couple of days, whether in sure. dating or interviewing or whatever it may be. Sure. Be different. Be, the ones we look up to are the unique ones. Be different. And two, three hours later, send that email because I guarantee you the other nine are not doing it. And then if you haven't heard back in two, three days, shoot over a, a, another email or, or text or phone call, whatever it is saying, Hey, haven't heard from you. I was very interested. I thought it went well. Is there any, any further questions you have for me? Those kind of things. And did you, like, were, I have friends that like, for example, my buddy, Mike Takahashi would, he would basically, he's not in our industry, but really smart guy. And he would um, basically for every single resume he would have, he would kind of tweak it a little bit differently depending on the role. It seemed like a lot of work, but I'm just curious, do you think that a lot of people do that too? Or do you think that a lot of people are just sort of using like one resume and just sort of blasting it everywhere? I think most blasts use one resume and blast it everywhere. And what you just said is the appropriate way to do it. If the roles are different, cater the resume towards the, the, the role and how it specifically, how you specifically could fit for that role. Mm -hmm. What about like, uh, let's just say that you, you have like a good opportunity and you, the rate of the pay is not quite where you need to be or your last gig was more potentially like, how do you think about like negotiation? Like, and how do you know if like, I guess if they want you, you probably know that they're, that you can negotiate or, or how do you know how to approach that essentially without like, like ruining the deal? It depends on the role. If it's an entry level role. Oftentimes those salaries are posted. They are non-negotiable, mm -hmm. but I still think you could ask over the eight, nine years that I interviewed. I may have had a handful who said, I, I saw the salary for this role, but I'm, I'm looking for this. Is this possible? I wasn't offended by it. I, I couldn't make it happen, but mm -hmm. I absolutely think you should ask, especially in your higher level or executive roles that I think it's, it's open to negotiation. Yeah, it makes sense. How is the market doing right now too? Like in general, it just seems like the brokerage market's taken like a beating this year. Is it It's unfortunate. Um, I, I mentioned this, I spoke to Blythe. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I talked about, I think the, I love the her, landscape by the way. is, she's fantastic. The landscape is changing and I think it's, we just have to adapt. Everyone is wanting to run as efficient as possible right now. And I think we're going more to a individual, it, it may not be a full agency model, but these big box brokerages of just hiring and 70% turnover, it's not sustainable. 
Uh, I think you need to find the right individuals for the role, whether that's sales, accounting, whatever it may be, and, and let them do what they're great at and then be as efficient as you can uh, behind the scenes. And whether that's through tech or through companies like Zelle with, with remote staffing, uh, I think there's a place, you know, it seems like a lot have forgotten those two to three really good years we had. Yeah, it's tough out there. What about your thoughts on continuous learning and upskilling? For example, like I'm a marketer, so I, I bought a course by this this guy named Eddie Schleiner. He's got like 50,000 subscribers on his email list. He used to be like the head of, of marketing for G2. So I don't necessarily get a lot of my info. I get inspired by like from folks from different industries as well. So like Eddie is not in our industry. But at the same time, I, I think that um, he, so, he had this thing called transformational landing pages and he helped out like Justin Welsh, which was like a solopreneur, like increase his conversion rate by like 20%. So I, I just thought I, I always try to like look for more knowledge to better myself in my career. Do you, what are your thoughts on like upskilling and just making sure that folks are doing stuff like this in the market? That's a great point, Jeremy, is to look outside. Sometimes we can get a little siloed. And I know I am, I would say 90% of my connections on LinkedIn are in transportation. You know, I should, should make it a point to look into, cause there are other salespeople out there. There are, you know, and it's, it's important to get outside of your comfort zone. And I think one thing that you can do that is, that is free is to find someone who has the experience, find a mentor mm, and whether mentor. it's just one, one time a month to say, Hey, can I bend your ear for 15 minutes once a month? Just to the advice that you will get from those people because they have failed so many times and they have overcome the failures. That, that is priceless. Mentorship's huge. I actually hired a business coach uh, in 2023 for just some help with like psycho psychological things as far as like business and like price and selling and things of that nature. Because I feel like even selling is a, a very psychological thing because like one product might be. I don't know, $1,000 a month for a software service or $5,000 a month. And there might not be that much difference between the models, except for the fact that the way it's like presented, marketed, the confidence basically of like the person selling it. So I think that there is some sort of like salesmanship to some of these things. Thoughts on how do you find your mentors to um, going back to that? Look in the industry at the ones who have, who have been in, in what you're looking to do. Find those people and, and seek them out. And I think sometimes flattering to those people that they're being looked up to and they would absolutely um, once a month, 15 minutes. I think that's important. And then, you know, to your point on on sales and things being one product being the, the same as the other. But how do you choose one? I think it, it's communication. You know, as we shift more and more towards automation and, and AI, the human touch is still that's how I got the majority of my customers is I over communicated. Mm -hmm. I was always on top of things, whether noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., 8 p.m., always communicating. I think there aren't enough people doing it. So when you over communicate, you stand out. 100%. I think what it is, too, is that people get caught in this thing where they, they get frozen in a sense where they don't mm -hmm. want to break the bad news because they have anxiety potentially or do they just don't want to go there. Cause it's just uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations. Like they're not, they're never easy to have, but I feel like the uncomfortable conversations is what sets like leaders and people apart that, and that's probably why you got those customers. Cause I think good news or bad news, if you're communicating it, people are happy. How do you look at like difficult conversations as well? Like, do you prepare for them ahead of time? Or like, how do you think about those? Sure. You're absolutely right. So when, when I started the, the job was a cold calling, you had to, they set me down at a desk and said, here's your phone, here's your computer. Good luck. And I knew nothing about it. And I said, 
I'm going to make thousands of calls and I'm going to get really good at this. Or I'm going to realize it's not for me. Mm -hmm. What you just said is what happened. The first several hundred calls, I'd said some really silly things mm -hmm. that just sounded bad. I got sure. hung up on, but I learned that, okay, when I say that the reaction is this, why don't we pivot and try this and just kind of keep sharpening those things. And then when you get to the bad news itself, I think you should always have an answer before delivering it. Mm, that's fair. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or just have like, I, I've also been guilty of like bringing up a problem without having a solution. If I'm going to bring up a problem that I'm not happy with the way that our company's doing something, I want to at least have like a few options for them where I think that it's a better direction. 100%. And so this is what happened. Here's what I did. And here's where we're going. That's how you do it. Yeah, because otherwise you end up just sounding negative. I think when people just yes. bring up something without actually having like a, a solution or what about like just any advice for people that are just like down and out right now and just kind of just, you know, the holidays are coming and they're just, they might've been just laid off or they're still seeking. I have a buddy that actually has been searching for a job for like the last three or four months and he's got like a mortgage. So I, I do yeah. feel like really bad for some of these folks, like any, any advice for them to like, just stay, stay positive. I don't think sending out resumes a hundred times. I think that only contributes to the problem. You're not getting any results. So you just keep sending more and more. And it just, it adds weight to the shoulders. I, I would say pivot to something else. Find, find your network, find someone. People want to help others. Fair. So reach out to your network and say, listen, here's what happens. Here's what I'm looking to do. Do you know anyone? So instead of spending three or four hours, just sending resume after resume, try that. Reach out to someone and say, I'm, it's okay to say, I'm looking for some help here. I don't think you need to broadcast it on, on LinkedIn and, and feel embarrassed by it, but I think reaching out individually and, and saying, I'm looking for some help. Do you know anyone? I guarantee if you do that enough, they will point you to someone who will point you to someone else and you will see results. I like that. I think that a lot of the times maybe people's ego get in the way of not wanting, mm -hmm. and especially specifically men don't like asking for help. I think a lot of the times I completely agree with you. I think that if you're vulnerable and you show people that you care and you want help and you're willing to work. I mean, people do want to help, which is, is actually a, a really nice thing. Since you've been in sales, last couple of minutes for you, um, since you've been in sales, like your a good portion of your career, do you have any like the ways of thinking about sales or tips? I know you mentioned over communicating a minute ago, but any other things that have, like stood out to you for like how to sell better? Be honest. Uh, you have to be honest. If you say mm -hmm. you're going to do something, you have to do it. Sure. Uh, especially in the brokerage world, there are so many people with promise a truck or promise they can do this and they have no idea uh, what's going on and they don't do it because they're going to remember that. And that's your track record. It may start with one load or, or one, one sale to, a, to a, a, a customer, but that's how you build off of it. And then mm. once you have that initial communication and that initial sell with the customer, ask them how you did. What could I have done better? Are you satisfied with these things? And then I think it's important to ask the people that you're talking to their biggest pain points. I used mm -hmm. to ask that all the time. It's like, hey, I'm not going straight into the hard sell here. I'd like to hear more about your operation and what's the worst part of your day in regards to, to, to what you do. Tell me about it. Let me mm -hmm. see if I can come up with a solution. I think that's, that's great. The last thing I would say is outwork everyone. I told myself, like I mentioned earlier, I was going to make more calls than anyone around me. And we'll see, see what happens from that. Put your head are, down and, and grind. I think you'll see results. I think those are all fantastic. And it's interesting too, because I think active listening, and you kind of alluded to that a second ago, I think that when you're asking for those pain points, they start telling you a lot of times people 
we'll take it in a different direction. And a lot of times people are telling us exactly what we need to like know right there. And I think it's just sometimes we're not really, but in general, I think that people are sometimes just not like, they're just, they're going through the motions and trying to get to the next point instead of actually just listening. Oh yeah. I never would prep what I was going to say on the phone call. Because imagine if you sat down and wrote, I'm going to say this, and then here's what I'm going to say. And here are the points I want to let the conversation flow, ask a question and, and make it natural. 100% conversational is, is the way to go. Uh, one last question for you. Do you have any books or websites or anything that you go through that inspire you? I mean, for example, like I love Simon Sinek, Start With Why. I love Brene Brown. Um, any books that you are inspired by? Yeah. I, so I've mentioned The Daily Stoic. It's fantastic. I love, love that. that. Um, Tim Grover uh, has a book called Relentless that I'm a huge fan of. He was a, a trainer for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and he just talks about you know, the ones who are the best are unique. They're different. I really like that book. And then I'd say the last one is The Power of Habit. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a great book. So, you know, those are those are kind of my three. And I just, I keep them and I'll randomly open to a chapter and reread just to, to kind of refresh things. Oh yeah, 100%. I love anything to do with habits. I actually sent this to my dad last night. It was from not The Power of Habit, but it was from Atomic Habits. And it said... A simple reminder from Atomic Habits by James Clear. Time will multiply whatever you feed it. Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. And I think that was really interesting. Like, I feel like it's such a true statement. If you eat like crap for like a year, yeah, don't be surprised if, if you get, gain a ton of weight or if like if you, if you invest a good portion of your paycheck, for example, into stocks, like don't be surprised if, you know, you make money. It's a weird thing though, because I feel like um, people... It's hard to like remember those things. I think when we're going through like the day-to-day -day motions for some reason. It is. I don't, I don't look too far ahead and that may sound silly, but I wake up every morning and say, let's, let's, let's win today. And I love that. Like you just said, if you do that every day, it adds up to results. So hundred percent. Well, I enjoyed that conversation. That was a very um, fascinating conversation. Where do I send people, Chris, if they want to learn more about you? Yeah. So, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Fields, and then Zell Logistics, uh, is our website. So you can take a look there and, and yeah, love to meet anyone network. Uh, it's, it'd be great. Awesome. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the interview with Chris Fields over at Zell Logistics. Definitely interesting conversation. If you do find yourself out of work at this time, hang in there and definitely take Chris's tips and mess, let the hiring manager know that you really want the job. And then also just definitely utilize your network. If you just mention to your friends that you're looking and definitely network as much as possible. So anyways, hope you enjoyed that episode and everyone's staying safe. And we will catch you on the next one. See ya.